So, Lord, that is our prayer, that you would guide your perfect life, that here in this place, here right now, your spirit will guide us. So, Lord, we thank you for this word, your scriptures. It is good, it is right, it is the best. So, Lord, help us to hear you now, in Jesus' name, amen. I want to welcome you who are watching online and those who are in the community center. Some things are too good to resist, like good Mexican food, fresh snow, skiing on fresh snow, uh, Oreo cookies and milk, a vacation spot on a tropical island somewhere, a job opportunity we've been waiting for, a good prank. Some things are too good to resist. My friends and I used to fish off the pier in Seal Beach, California, and we would go out there uh, in the evening after work. We'd stay out till about two or three in the morning. And on one particular night, we hadn't caught uh, really anything. Uh, one guy caught a fish, a very small fish, which he put in the cooler uh, because he was going to take it home and show to his girlfriend. But uh, then he started bragging, you know, I caught a fish, I caught a fish. All night long. Too long. <laughs> so when he wasn't paying attention, I took the fish out of the cooler and I put it on my hook on the end of my line. I threw that thing out there into the water, <laughs> waited a few minutes, and then uh, I yelled. And, uh, you know, like I had a bite. And I started tugging and pulling on my rod and reeling in like I really had a fish. And then uh, as the fish came out of the water, I kind of jigged the end of my pole so the line, the line jumped up and down and the fish started wiggling a bit. Well, my friend came over to see what was going on and, uh, you know, I, as it, just as I brought the fish that was really his fish, I brought it up and took it off the hook. Well, I asked him what he thought I ought to do with it and if, I th if he thought it was too small. And he did think it was too small. <laughs> so that only meant one thing. Now, there was a certain ritual that we would go through any time we threw a fish back. It involved some yelling and some dancing, and, and then the ceremonial handing over the fish from the guy who caught it to the good friend, the trusted friend who would do the honors. So we danced our dance and yelled our yell, and I took that fish that was really his fish, and I handed it to my friend who reared back, and he threw the fish that was really his fish <laughs> way out into the water. And because that fish was dead, it floated. <laughs> oh, we laughed and laughed and laughed, and then he ran back to the cooler, opened it up to see that his fish was gone, and figured out what had happened. He chased me around the, the <laughs> pier for about half an hour. Well, none of us caught another thing the rest of that night, and he had nothing to take home to his girlfriend, except some fish story about how he caught a fish, but then threw the fish that was really his fish back in the water. Well, some things are too good to resist. But even then, some things, even though they look good, giving in to them will wreck us. The story of David and Bathsheba is one of the best-known stories in all the Bible. It's about David's battle with lust and the impulse that he gave into, the moral depths that David was willing to sink into to cover it all up, no matter what, and the consequences of it all. David's sin brought an unwanted pregnancy. It brought the murder of a trusted military friend and leader. It brought a dead baby. It brought treason, a daughter raped by his own uh, son. 
and a future generation that would follow the patterns of their father David. Unlike the David and Goliath story, David loses this battle. We all lose when we give in to temptation. That's the point of the story, that sin wrecks stuff. It wrecks me, it wrecks you, it wrecks the people who love us, and it wrecks the world around us. But most of all, sin wrecks our relationship with God and the extraordinary life that our God invites us into to discover, to experience in relationship with Him. This is the last sermon in a series called Extraordinary. And over the last several weeks, we've been looking at David's ordinary life and the way that God has worked in his ordinary life to make it extraordinary. But giving in to temptation makes our lives nothing more than an extraordinary mess. So let's look at David's downward spiral to find the points where David went wrong. Now, in the passage that Dana just read, it begins innocently enough. It begins with these words, at the time when kings go off to war. But then we read something that is not as it should be. David sent Joab out. And we wonder, if kings go off to war, then why didn't David go out with his men? Why did he send his own general out? And our suspicions are confirmed that something is not quite right when we read that the Ammonites have been destroyed and that Rabbah besieged, but David remained in Jerusalem. David's not where he's supposed to be. He's not out on the battlefield with his men. And we wonder, what's going on? Why isn't David where he's supposed to be? But our question never gets answered. Instead, what we hear is a story of what happened when David wasn't where he was supposed to be. You see, if David would have been where he should have been, leading his troops in battle rather than walking around the roof of his palace looking at a woman bathing, then none of this would have happened. This story wouldn't be in the Bible. And you wouldn't be listening to me speak on this this morning. Being where he didn't belong was the first bad decision that David made. Bad things happen when we are in the wrong place. Now, there's something in this humanity of ours that just dreams of an adventure, of a life, of something that's just so fulfilling, so amazing, so extraordinary, so pleasurable and fulfilling that we resist the limits that God has placed on us, on our decisions, um, on our activities, um, because something deep down suspects that God may be holding out on us. You know, He may be holding back on us a little bit that he's keeping the life that is really life from us. So God is just some sort of, you know, cosmic killjoy or something. And the only way that we can find out if he is or not is if we go and see for ourselves. Think about the Garden of Eden for a minute. God created the heavens and the earth, the land and the sea, the sky, plants and animals, uh, the original human beings. God blessed them. He said, be fruitful and multiply, and I give you everything there is. It's all yours. There's just a couple limits. There's just this one main limit about not eating from the tree of the, uh, uh, the fruit of uh, the tree of good and evil. That's Genesis chapter 2. So in Genesis chapter 3, where do you think Adam and Eve are? They're hovering around this tree. Now, is there no other place to go than this tree? 
I mean, is there nothing else to do in the whole garden than to hang around this tree and to wonder what that fruit must have tasted like? I mean, think about it for a moment. There's Adam. There's Eve. No one else is around. There are no kids. God gave them the thumbs up. And they're thinking about this tree. Come on! But there they are hovering around this tree because God put limits on them and told them not to eat from the tree because they thought God was holding back on them, holding out on them, that God must be just some sort of killjoy. Surely eating this, the fruit of this tree would give them the life of adventure, of purpose, of, of excitement that they were looking for. And it never dawned on them that the promise of excitement and fulfillment which their temptation offered would just really leave them empty, broken, and unsatisfied. And you know, we are still buying that same lie. And we are still expecting the same results. And it's that lie that gets us into the places where we should not be. Some of you who are listening to this message today, you're in places you should not be. You're a husband or a wife. You've made a long, lifelong commitment to faithfully give your love to the one you're married. But when you travel, you're watching stuff in your, in your hotel room that you shouldn't be watching. Or you're traveling to places in, in areas that you should not be traveling to. Or you are visiting bars and restaurants that you shouldn't be in. Or maybe these economic times have caused your business to really struggle. And you're looking for ways to increase the bottom line looking at things that you shouldn't be looking at. Or maybe you're unemployed and discouraged and are hanging around the house instead of getting some help and finding a job. You may not be struggling with temptation today, but when you are in the places where you should not be, you can count on the fact that you will face temptation. And it will look good to you. It just will. So let me ask you, where are you that you should not be? That was David's first mistake in his downward spiral because bad things happen when we're in the wrong place. Now, when my kids were little, they were great negotiators. It didn't matter what it was. You know, another finger full of icing around the edge of the cake or five more minutes before I have to go to bed, Daddy, you know, or ten, well, you know, one more game on the computer before homework. You know, and then they'd look at me with those big, beautiful eyes, and they'd put that face on, you know, that only little kids can put on that just makes them look so helpless, so vulnerable, so needy. I was such a wimp. <laughs> you know, kids are great negotiators. We all are. But negotiating with temptation is like putting on a blindfold and walking toward the edge of a cliff. We don't know where the edge of the cliff is, so we're really not sure at what point we'll fall over. But we are really committed to getting to that point. So we just sort of inch forward, stepping a little bit closer, a little bit closer, a little bit closer. Bad things happen when we move forward and we take the first step toward giving in. That was David's second mistake. One finger full of frosting is never enough. Neither, I learned, was five minutes more of uh, television before bedtime. 
But David's trouble with temptation and the downward spiral into sin started because he was on the roof watching the beautiful Bathsheba take a bath instead of leading his troops into battle where he should have been. But when he moved forward and he sent out the messenger to try and find out who this woman was, well, that's when he took the first step toward giving in. And then when he learned that she was married, he took the next step by sending the messengers back out and getting her anyway. One step leads to the next step, which leads to the next step, which leads to the next step, until... Now, you would think David would have been smarter than that, really. I mean, you would think that committing adultery with a wife of one of his top military leaders, that he had to know the impact that would have on his throne or on his family or on his nation around him. You'd think that at some point David would just wise up, you know, that he would count the cost, that he'd cry out to God. But David doesn't do this. He just keeps moving forward, one foot in front of the other, in front of the other. Now, uh, Dr. Ralph Sockman, who was a Methodist preacher, and he was a radio evangelist for about 30 years, he tells a story about an experience he had while standing on the edge of Niagara Falls one day, a cold day in March. He stood there captivated by the birds who were swooping down and grabbing a drink from the water there. And then they'd soar over the edge of the falls, catch the updraft, and raise up, rise up high into the sky. Well, it was a marvelous thing to watch. And as he stood there marveling at this sight, his companion told him how he'd also seen birds dip down to get a drink, um, but at a different time of the year, uh, when tiny droplets of ice would sort of build up on their wings. And as they returned for additional drinks, more ice would build up on their wings, weighing down their bodies until they couldn't rise any farther over the rushing falls. Flapping and flailing, the birds would suddenly drop over the edge and splash, they were gone. Now, apparently, the first time that happened to a bird wasn't enough. Apparently, other birds didn't learn from the mistake of the first bird that happened to, because there were additional birds who lined up and went the way of the frozen bird before them. You'd think somewhere along the line, one of those birds would have just wised up. You'd think one of them would have figured it all out, but apparently not. Apparently, all those birds that went down thought that they were better, bigger, stronger, that they could handle this ice. It's not a big deal. It's not a big buildup. I can handle all this, and uh, I can soar over just about everything. Splash. And I wonder sometimes if you and I aren't any different than the birds, if you and I aren't ourselves headed for, headed for a plunge. Maybe you are in the middle of a situation where you're considering crossing the lines and in, a, and in an inappropriate relationship, and there are glances, and there are suggestive looks, and there's emotional intimacy with someone who is not your wife or not your husband. Or maybe you are taking and moving forward, taking steps that will wreck you and the people you love the most. Well, the Bible says this. The Bible says, Run. 1 Timothy 6.11 says, Flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Before you take another step, before you go any further, would you stop what you're doing, turn around, and just run? 
Because maybe for you it's been a sexually inappropriate behavior or some other, dis- maybe it's been dishon- you've been dishonest financially or just dishonest and has shrouded your life with a veil of deceit that you can't break free from. Or maybe it's anger and your words are causing the people around you to be afraid. Or maybe for others, you may be involved in addictive patterns that are destroying your life for your sake, for your soul's sake for the sake of the people who love you and count on you the most. Run. And if the Spirit is in any way touching you or speaking to you about an area of your life, would you make the decision here now, don't wait, to stop, to turn around, and to run from that thing? Well, David gets into this mess because he's in the wrong place. And then he moved forward, and he took that first step toward giving in when he should have done everything to turn around and run away. And as you know from the story, things get worse for David. David's lust progresses to adultery, which results in pregnancy. And when David tries to cover it up by uh, inviting uh, Uriah to come and to sleep with his wife so Uriah would think that he was the one that got his wife pregnant and that the baby was his instead of uh, David's. Well, when Uriah doesn't do that, when Uriah refuses, then David conspires to commit murder. And the extraordinary life God had worked out through David's ordinary life has now become nothing more than an extraordinary mess. I believe it was my father who first said to me, Rich, quit digging a hole. You're just making matters worse. Anybody ever say that to you? Quit digging a hole. You're just making it worse, Rich. Well, you know, he was right. If David's life, or David's life would have been a lot different if he would have just stopped digging, stopped trying to cover up, and right there, right then, just come clean. Ours will too. Because you see, when we put down the shovel, when we stop digging, when we stop trying to cover it up, then all of our energy, all of our focus goes into one thing, trying to get out of the hole. Do whatever you need to do. Seek the help of a qualified professional. Get into a small group and find the support that you need there. Make it a matter of daily prayer. Break the secrecy that has muffled your cries for help, and tell a trusted friend. Develop an accountability partner, a mentor, who can be with you so that you're not struggling through this alone. Make it a matter of prayer. Memorize the promises of Scripture and stand on God's promises as you move through this. Confess and make amends with the people that you have hurt. But whatever you do, stop digging. Stop trying to cover it up. And do what you need to do to get out of your hole. You know, this story in 2 Samuel 11, 1 through 17, is a story of David's fall. It's bad news. It's bad news for David. It's bad news for Bathsheba. It's bad news for Uriah. It's bad news for David's family. But it isn't the last news for David. Because in the very next chapter in Samuel, the one that we just read, Nathan, the, the prophet Nathan, shows up and confronts David about his sin. And when David confesses, Nathan gives David the last word. The Lord has already forgiven you. If sin, cover-up, and bad news is the last news, then this world is a messy place. 
And our only hope is to just be a little more devious, a little more cunning, a little better at covering things up than the person next to us. But it's not the last news. Whatever place you're in today, whatever steps you've been taking, however deep your hole is, your place, your steps, your hole is not the last word for you. Because when Jesus gave his life on the cross and he died that death for you and for me and then three days later rose again, he shouted the final victory shout that shook the gates of hell and it echoes through the generations, every people, nation, tribe, and tongue until Jesus comes back again. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of the spirit of sin and death. God has the last word. In the beginning, God had the first word. And in the end, through Jesus, God has the last word. And when you say yes to Jesus, you say yes to that kind of life that extraordinary life that he invites us into, a life of redemption, a life of promise, a life of forgiveness, a life of hope, a life of healing. It's an extraordinary life, a life that goes on and on and on forever. So where are you that you should not be? And what steps have you been taking that you ought to be running away from? And what can you do to quit the cover-up, stop digging, and do what you need to do to get out of the hole. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for your word. Today's word is a tough word. It speaks into an area of our lives, Father, that potentially could be wrecking us, wrecking our relationship with you. And yet, Lord, you speak a word of grace, a word of forgiveness, and the promise of hope, healing, and restoration. Jesus, would you do that for us? And lead us evermore into the extraordinary life that you have for us. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.